0: You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter.
1: In Genesis chapter 2, it's going to be up on the screen. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 2, verses 5 through 17. It says this, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and Onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria.
0: Well, we were on a great journey of deliverance for a number of Sundays, and that was a really, really powerful series for us. And um, last week we shifted. We talked about Abraham's adventure. And uh, one of the key things in the life of Abraham was that he obeyed God to do something that he did not have a full disclosure of. And when God said to Abram at the time... Uh, I want you to leave your family, your kindred, everyone there. I want you to leave them, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. He didn't say, I'm going to show you a place, and then I want you to go there. And there's a big difference there because it required of Abram to be a man of faith. But the unique thing that happened in Abram's life was that God changed his name. In other words, God gave him a new identity. God moved him in a different direction. God gave him a tremendous promise for his life Uh, that would be fulfilled over a period of time as he went along. Now There were a lot of things that happened along the way, those things we talked about last week. But one of the key things I want to tag on from that sermon and begin today is that Abraham moved into a new level of relationship with God, and he took on a new identity that he did not have prior to this time. And in doing all of that, he fulfilled the greater purposes of God in his life. And eventually he became the man of great faith, if you will. Okay, And so we want to, we want to spring off of that today and talk about you and I and the life that we're living and maybe where God is taking us where we maybe don't yet see or understand where we're going. And sometimes we feel that way in our Christian walk, in our faith. It's like, I know I'm going somewhere, but I don't really know where I'm going. Or I don't know what it's going to look like when I get there. But I'm going to trust God because God has called me out. He's called me, first of all, out of darkness and into marvelous light. He's called me into a relationship with Jesus So that I can be like Jesus and that I can have relationship with him as my heavenly father and he's called me to purpose and to destiny in other words he's called me to do something with this new life that he's given me that is far different from the life that I was living okay. And so now we are looking at how do we do that life? How do we live that life individually? But also, how do we live that life corporately? How do, we, how do we come together as God's people and live the kind of life that God intends for us to live? And I believe that one of the ways we do that is we allow God to create culture. And that is the culture that we live in. That's the culture that we hopefully thrive in. It's a culture where we're allowed to grow. Uh, Many years ago, I was in art school, and when I was in art school down in Sarasota, Florida, uh, we would go out uh, each day, and we would take our sketchbooks, and we would have to sketch the things that were around us that we encountered uh, for about four hours. We spent at at least that long doing it. And on one particular day, we went to what was basically uh, an orchid greenhouse, it a humongous place. It a big, big, big place. And you could walk through various rooms and, and through various pathways. And all through there, there was these amazing orchids, just unbelievable orchids from all around the world. And we had the privilege of sitting in different places in this sort of like steamy uh, atmosphere and drawing these orchids. And a lady came by and she's, she's, like, she's like, is there anything I can do to help you? And I said, no, no. I said, but just tell me, how do, how do you get these orchids like to live? Because, like, I see people buy them at Walmart, and she laughs. (laughs) I don't think they had Walmart orchids there. But uh, I I see people buy orchids, and I know that uh, my dad bought my mom an orchid once, and it lived about three days. You know, and I'm like, how, how, how do all these orchids just live like this and flourish in this place? And, and they just seem like so natural and they're so beautiful and, and big and, and it's just wonderful, you know? And they smell. And she looks at me and she smiles and she says, oh, my dear young man. She goes, this is the perfect environment for them to flourish. <laughs> I'm like, great. <laughs> and I went back to drawing. But that encounter stuck with me in a unique way. And it's like, God, I I need to be in a culture. I need to be in an atmosphere. I need to be in an environment that is conducive, not only for me to grow, but for me to flourish. I don't want to just grow. I don't want to be the Walmart orchid that somebody gets and three days later it's dead. All right? All right. But I want to be that that flourishes. And the Bible speaks about us as being like mighty oaks planted, all right? As a planting unto the Lord. Speaks about us having roots that go deep. We sing about it in this church a lot, okay? That's what we want to be. We want to have that kind of relationship with God, all right? So we want an atmosphere. We want a culture, if you will, where it's conducive to grow. In other words, we want to live in a place where there is life and not death we want to be in a place where we are constantly feeling that we are being fed spiritually by God and by one another and in that place there's such a culture that's been created that we are just growing all right we're just flourishing among one another let's talk about churches for a moment Why is it? I want to pose you a question to think about today. And really, this sermon today is one to get you to talk, all right? To get you to have conversations with one another about life in the church and how we do grow and and how do we move forward and flourish as disciples of Jesus Christ. Not only being His disciple, but discipling others for the kingdom. But why is it that you can have two churches in one community, All right, we're not going to name a particular church, but. Just think about Sioux Falls, for instance, there are lots of churches. There are lots and lots of churches in Sioux Falls, and there are lots of different kinds of churches. There are denominational churches, and there are independent churches like this church, all right? And there are other independent churches that are not a part of our church, but they are independent. So in some ways, they are like us. You have a lot of Baptist churches in this city. You have a lot of Reformed churches in this city. You have a lot of Catholic churches in this city. You have a lot of Lutheran churches in this city city. But why? Why is it that in this city you can have, we'll use the Baptists, we'll pick on them. I grew up Baptist, so I feel like I have a little bit of lead way there. And I've got three or four lovely ladies sitting here that are diehard, born-again Baptist women, all right? Uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk about the Baptists for a few minutes. Why is it that you can have First Baptist and Second Baptist and First Baptist East you're going to have all of these different churches. They're still Baptist. And in essence, in many ways, they're good churches because they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But why can you have a church where people are flourishing and they're positive? Alright? Everything is going well and, and, and wonderful things are happening there. And when you talk to the people who attend that church, you just say you go to someone who's older and been there say 20 years or 30 years and they can tell you all of these wonderful things that have happened in that church and the times that they saw kids grow up and, and get saved and be baptized and, and, and have all kinds of fun opportunities. And You see kids in Christmas programs and they do crazy little things but everybody laughs and loves on them and enjoys their innocence. And there's this life and there's this flourishing and even in death there's celebration. These are these are powerful kinds of churches. And they're growing and they're dynamic. But you can have another Baptist church in the same community and it's struggling and it hardly grows and people come and people go, but it never moves much forward one way or another. And there is an environment there that people sense, but they can't really name, they can't really articulate or describe what it is. But there's just this kind of negative kind of atmosphere where people cannot flourish And they don't live in a good environment, and so they're not growing. And what's happening is people are not growing. Rather, they're leaving. Same kind of church. They're both Baptist. They both preach Jesus. They both have people who love God. But what's the difference? What what is defining one church over the other? I believe it's the culture. I I believe it is the ability to flourish, to have life. And see, here's the thing. Jesus said, I came to give you life, a life that is abundant. In other words, I didn't come for you to just live. I didn't come for you to just exist. I, I didn't come for you to just get by, all right, to just be a breather. I came for you to have an abundance. I came for you to, to flourish. I came for you to embrace a greater life and live that life in such a way that your life actually contributes to the lives of others. So there's some kind of connectivity. There's some kind of place where you come together and because of the common denominator of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, something is happening and oh boy, it flourishes. All right? It just kicks off. It can happen in a dying church. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit can come alive in a a dying church. I remember reading and and watching a a video of a, a revival called the Cornfield Revival in Kansas. Uh, and a little church in a little town, little community in Kansas just had an amazing revival. And before it was over with, people were flying in from all over the country to this little tiny church, and this revival was amazing, and people were getting filled with the Spirit and saved in powerful, dramatic ways and delivered from all kinds of bondages. And it was just a great thing for a season of time. God was moving in such a powerful way there. And later on, the senior pastor was interviewed, and someone said, uh, what happened? And he said, you know, it's the strangest thing. He goes, I, I came to this church, and everyone said, this church is dead. This is a dying church. And I, I really, like, questioned what I was doing. And I really went before God, and I said, God, what do you expect me to do? This is a dying church. And he says, I expect you to do exactly what I did with my son. I expect you to resurrect it. And he dove in and sought God and the Spirit of God came upon that man and that church and those elders and people began to repent of their sins and people began to to follow hard after God and people began to have prayer lives and get into the truth of God's Word and truth began to change them and shape them and as they did, it opened them up to be different than what they had been in death. And now they are living in life and in life they are flourishing. And this is what I'm saying to you and I today is that you and I need to live in that place of life. Now, it's interesting that in the story that David read to you in Genesis, it says that God built the garden. God created the garden, if you will. All right. He planted the garden, however you want to look at that. OK, I, I by the way, am preaching to you out of a perspective that I believe in a pretty literal uh, creation okay so that's where i land or right, i believe there was a literal garden all right it's not just a symbolic thing yet there's a lot of symbolism that we can extract from this story and analogies and metaphors that can help us because i think everything in the bible in particular in the old testament is a type and shadow and speaks to us of things that we need to understand about our own walk with god today And God creates a garden, and there he puts Adam and Eve. And when he puts them in the garden, he calls them to tend that garden and to do it in a tremendous level of innocence. They're naked. They have no clothing on their bodies, and they are not ashamed. There is no shame in the garden. There is innocence. And that's where they begin. That's where they are living, if you will, all right? And so I think we can pull something from this, all right? Because God says two things in particular in the passage that that David read to you, and that was, in that garden was the tree of life. And a little bit later it says, and in that garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm going to propose to you today that for us to be the church that God intends us to be, for us to be able to flourish, for us to have the right kind of culture where people can really grow and they can really flourish in the kingdom of God, we have to choose which tree we live in. Either you will live in the tree of life or you will live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the amazing thing is that whichever tree you choose, you tend to stay there. You will will tend to stay right where you choose to live and not move away from there. And so I want to challenge you and I today that we begin to understand the difference between living in a tree of life and living in a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all right? So we're going to compare these two trees just a little bit, all right? And we're not going to, we're not going to talk so much about, like, why Eve ate the apple which really it isn't an apple you know I remember reading the story when I was a child in all the books I read it had an apple tree and it was an apple in in the book you all remember them doesn't matter you can go back 30 years when I was reading that story you can read it with your kids when they are young maybe you have them now you can read it with your grandchildren I have a grandson I've read the story with him out of the storybook bible there the you know everywhere you look is it's, it's Eve with the long hair, and it's Adam standing behind the bush. <laughs> Go figure. All right? But then here comes the snake, and the snake's got an apple. <laughs> All right? But so, so we have this idea of this, this apple tree, okay? Okay? But I want you to understand something. There there is a, that's a metaphor, if you will, all right? And I, I have no, I don't take issue with the apple, all right? Because what it's saying is the serpent offered something that looked good. It offered something that looked delicious. It offered something that Adam and Eve thought would be good for them, and they did what? They ate of it. In other words, they consumed it, they took it in. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that ultimately that was knowledge and a worldview that ultimately brought them death. And the sad thing is that the enemy was able to package it in such a way that they were deceived to believe that they were actually going to do something that would make them more like God. Did God really tell you to do that? Did God really say that? And he moved them not only to doubt that, but he moved them to actually believe that, hey, if you eat this apple, what's really going to happen is you're going to be more like God because you're going to know the difference between good and evil. What they knew was innocence. What they knew was that they had the ability to be in the presence of the living God. And to be intimate with him. And to not be ashamed of anything. Because, folks, there was nothing to hide. In that place of innocence, they had the ability to flourish in the very presence of God. And the enemy says, no, when you get knowledge, you'll be more like God. And what they heard was, it'd be good to be more like God. So we need this knowledge. And they allowed that to usurp the truth that God had already given them, and that is if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. The enemy would love to take anything good and noble and right and twist it around and feed it to you in such a way that you digest a lie or a deception or a point of rebellion or disobedience. And what I'm saying to you today is that God's intent for you and I it's the same as his intent for Adam and Eve that we live out of the tree of life and not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when we do, we're living out of the tree of grace. We're living out of that place where we can accept, where there is no shame, where there is no victimization going on rather than in that tree of the knowledge of good and evil where there is law and law brings death by itself and where there is shame and judgment and criticism and all those kinds of things. I mean, let's be honest, folks. How many of you want to be criticized? How many of you want to be judged? No, this is not where we want to be. And yet sometimes we find ourselves there because of the condition of the heart of the church, not just of an individual. And so as a church, we have got to be a people who are always moving out of, from, inside, from, and out of the tree of life where we're we're living in this place where for, 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 for God's purposes, we not only understand the difference between the two trees, but we actually understand the outcome of living in those two trees, all right? You see, knowledge always produces fruit of some kind. When Adam and Eve became disobedient, they took in knowledge. They took in understanding. All right, They realized at one point that they were naked. I mean, Adam says, I heard you coming, and I realized you were coming into the garden, and I was naked, and so I hid myself from you. All right? The enemy would love nothing more than to take us as God's people and take away the very thing that God has restored. So you have to understand, God restores. God gives back what was taken. God, God comes back and brings back what was lost. And he does that through his son Jesus Christ on the cross. And what Jesus brings to you isn't just eternal life, but what, what Jesus brings to you is the ability to re- regain your innocence. Please understand, I'm not advocating we're all going to run around naked. That's not what we're talking about here at all. All right, what we're talking about is your ability to approach God and your ability to approach one another. And you can do that without shame, without guilt, and without condemnation. Because you're not under the law. Jesus didn't come to put you under the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law and release you from it so that you could actually flourish and live in life. And you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to take a church like this church or any other church in the world, and he wants to get everybody to feel victimized, and they got to blame somebody for something. Who did Eve blame? She blamed Adam. Who did Adam blame? Or Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. So you see, when you start to do that kind of stuff, it starts like a domino effect. And shame and blame begins to happen and, it, and it, it permeates a body of believers to the point that everybody's pointing fingers at other people. And when they do that, they operate out of a sense of judgment. You can never be a judge unless you feel superior to all the people you're judging. And if superiority is where you're living, you're in the wrong tree. And so you and I have to be willing to say, okay, I need God to recalibrate me all right, I need God to come into my garden. I need God to identify which tree I'm actually living in. I need God to help me so that I am living out of the right spirit. I'm living out of the right tree. And to do that means that we are taking in the right fruit. There's an old saying, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Yeah, one bad apple did a lot, so to speak. All right? All right? But there, Jesus is referred to as life. He is referred to as the bread of life. He said to to many who actually turned from him because they thought it was a hard saying, but he says, you need to eat of me. And metaphorically, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to eat of the Lord. That's what you're going to do today. We're going to take you to the table today, and you're going to eat of the Lord because in him there is life. And so we need to be running to him. We need to be... Charging towards Him, and what we are doing with our life needs to be of substance that we are filling up with the Lord. This is why we preach to you the disciplines before we ever preach to you freedom from bondage. And we need to be in the Word, and we need to be reading the Word, and we need to be praying, and all of these things. But you don't do that out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't do that just because Pastor Bill stood up and said, Hey, we need to be praying. And I, don't get me wrong. I love our early fathers of the church. I love our missionary fathers who paved the way on the mission field. I love these men who, who stood up and, and with great confidence and faith said, I can't do a thing lest I pray four hours a day. Hallelujah. Well, oh, I can't pray four hours a day. I don't have it in me to pray four hours a day. Solid. I would go crazy and bonkers if I did that. But God bless the man who can. But see... You and I who can't do that can't be under the law of those who can do that. And so you in your best efforts cannot make your best efforts the law for others. You and I have to live in the freedom that we all can work out our own salvation with fear and trembling and we can do this together without judging and without pointing and without making laws. If I ever get to the place that I can pray for four hours a day, I'm going to tell you what I would do. Maybe this is why God doesn't allow me to, to, to find that place. I'm going to stand up and tell all of you. I'm going to brag about it. I, I'm praying four hours a day. What are you doing? Well, I just, I just sat in the wrong tree. You know, we, we, we can't do that kind of stuff. There needs to be free. You need to come in here free. We've been talking about getting free from all these bondages. We've been talking about getting free from all of these strongholds and all of these battles that we've been fighting in our life. And, and in that freedom, you're under, beginning to understand and, and once again receive the restoration of your innocence. I am able to go to the Lord. I can go to the Lord freely. I, 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 I feel it in, in my soul and in my heart and in my mind. I'm, I'm developing my intimacy with God again. It's great. I'm on the path until someone comes along with a law are a judgment, are a condemnation, are a blame. And it'll destroy it. It'll suck the life out of someone. And what I'm saying to you is there's a place for us to live as God's people where we can open the doors of Life Church and say, you know what, you can come in here with no no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. Yeah, you got sin and we're going to help you get rid of it. But you know what, we're not going to condemn you over it because our heart is right towards you. Our heart is good towards you. And see, that's why it becomes a heart issue. We need the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give us life. That's what we need, and we need to live in that life. And if we're living in the life of Jesus, then we are living in the greenhouse of flourishing and maturing and being discipled. All right? I don't want a single one of you to disciple anyone else if you're living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you're going to put your spiritual factoid book in your back pocket instead of your Bible and you're going to disciple someone, don't do it. Just hang back a while, all right? Let's get you delivered. Let's get you out of the wrong tree and into the right tree. All right? What we want is each of us growing, each of us encouraging one another, each of us seeing each other special in the body of Christ. Each of us accepting one another and not rejecting one another. Not creating these environments where there's toxic things going on and unspoken laws that are being delivered. We need to be in this place of life with one another. And please understand, I believe we are. I believe we are. But every so often, I preach this message again. And this is one of those moments when I want to preach it because I think we're going into some amazing times as we go ahead. As we get into this discipleship program and as you are getting together and connecting with more and more people relationally, it's absolutely essential and vital that we remember which tree we're in and that we do this kind of assessment once in a while where we actually say, hey, God, help me. I need to know where I am. And maybe you ask a friend, hey, brother, hey, sister, where, where am I landing? Am, am I living in the tree of life? I came in this morning and I told David, I said, I hate this sermon right now because I just realized when I was trying to do this sermon again that I have moved. I'm not always in the tree of life and I want to be there. That's where I want to live. I'm going to tell you something. The first time I preached this message in Life Church years ago, it was one of the most radical transforming messages for the life of this church. And I believe that life church today and now, we need to hear this in a fresh kind of way. And we need to let the Holy Spirit really begin to speak to us. Because, see, this is where I'm getting you to. I would never bait and switch you, all right? I want you to live in the right tree, but there's a reason why. In that tree, the Holy Spirit dwells. (laughs) In that tree, you will find the anointing and the power of God. In that tree, things will begin to happen in and around your life that are not necessarily explainable on a natural level. And you will be able not only to flourish, but you will see your sons and daughters flourish. You will see your parents flourish. You will see your friends and co-workers flourish. You will see God doing amazing things because life attracts. Life attracts. Who follows deadness? Who follows dullness? Who follows... Judgment and criticism and these sorts of things. We all want to live. And I want to challenge you that that you move into that place where you are not isolating yourself because that's what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has brought life. That is His intent. I love the story that David read to you today. Not because Eve Misstepped here and went into sin, or Adam followed her, or whatever. However, you want to look at that. That that is not the, the 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 pretty piece of this story. Here's the pretty piece of this story. It's right after what David read to you, really, and that is when it says, "And God came to them in the cool of the evening." It doesn't say, "And God rode up on a white horse, snarling, pulling a sword, ready." to dismember those who have offended him. Sometimes you just get the wrong picture of God. You just get the wrong picture, all right? He came to them in the cool of the day, and he looked at Adam and said, Adam, where are you? He knew the sovereign God created that garden, spoke it into existence out of nothing. Don't you know he knew where Adam was? What he was saying was, where's your heart? What's happened? You're filled, you're filled with this shame and this guilt. You've lost innocence here. What, went, what has happened to you, Adam, And he knew what had happened, but he needed Adam to own it. He needed Adam to be able to say it and confess it there. And it says he went and he got skins of animals. In other words, God basically made the first type and shadow of a sacrifice to cover sin by by going and, and taking it from animals and covering Adam and Eve so they would not feel this shame in front of him. And what that says is that we have this God, all right? And and, and this is where it started. It started in the garden, this search of God and His heart for the disobedient, for the lost, for the sinful, for the broken, for the the, the deceived, whatever. God started in the garden. He didn't just suddenly wake up one morning and go, oh, doggone it, you know, so many people have gone to hell and this isn't working. I need to find some way to redeem. No, He started immediately. Adam, where are you? What's going on? The the longing of God, the, the, the going after you of God started in the garden and it hasn't stopped to this day. God is still going after you, after me, after the world that is lost and broken and fragmented. And he's doing that through his son, Jesus Christ, the one who came to give life. So that's where I want to take you, and that's where I want to take us as a church. I want us to live in this place where we understand not only the difference between the two trees, but we understand the value of living in the right tree. We understand the value of being in the right place, if you will, and living out of that place. What, is, what does that look like? Well, it's a hard issue. That's what it is. It's just a hard issue, and we're going to close here in just a minute, all right? Let me use an example. Two lovely ladies, both godly women, wanting to love Jesus, wanting to do the right thing, caring about life, wanting so much to promote life, stand behind life. Both are standing in front of an abortion clinic. One is in the tree of life, and one is in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the tree of life, this woman stands there and she carries her sign, It's just like the sign that the woman in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil carries. Both have their Bibles. Both are praying. But the woman who lives in the tree of life, she's praying for this pregnant girl. She's praying for this unborn child. She's praying for this dad who doesn't seem to be anywhere around. She's praying for that doctor that is on the inside. That very well could complete that abortion she's crying out to God for the souls of all of them they are all important Jesus died for every one of them the woman who is living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is praying but she's praying prayers of whatever condemning everything that is going on there condemning the young woman for getting pregnant condemning the dad who is absent condemning this doctor praying down judgment, praying down critical prayers on these people. Why? Because there is not life in the heart. There is religion. There is law. You see, when we live in religion, we take law to be superior over the life of Jesus. Can't do that. We have to live in the heart that has been circumcised by the Son, Jesus. And we have to live in that life that he brings when he says, I have come to give you life. I am the bread of life. And when we live there, we live right. We pray right. We perceive right. We relate right. Because we become like Jesus. All right? I hope you're hearing me this morning, and I hope you're hearing my heart clearly here. I believe that Life Church has it. I believe we got it, all right? But if we can take this and hone it, if we can begin to understand how to live out of this tree of life and not be critical and not be judgmental and not be religious and not be a lawgiver, if we can be a giver of life, if we can be like Jesus, if we can bring grace, and I'm not talking about a slippery grace. I'm not talking about letting people just sin. I'm going to call you out on your sin. I will tell you, but you know what? I'm going to be in the right tree when I do it. That's the key, all right? It's in the heart. Why would I call you out of your sin? Not because I want to judge you, because I don't want you to die and go to hell. I don't want you to to be destructive in your behaviors and relationships with others. I I want you being able to be intimate with God. I want that innocence to open up so that you can feel free to run boldly to the throne room of grace And as you do feel like you are already accepted and God's love is there for you and out of that grace you begin to flourish because if you flourish, you will stop sinning. That is a part of growing. That is a part of being discipled. That is a part of flourishing is that the magnitude or the level of sin in your life begins to dissipate. As you flourish, sin disappears and you become more and more like Him. And the more you can see him, the more like him you become. And that's where I want you to live. That's where I want all of us to live. And so what I want to ask you to do today is, is to, to begin that. Maybe beginning that is just finding out who Jesus is and accepting Jesus today. And Jeannie's going to come in just a moment and do that uh, part with you. She's going to to lead you uh, to the Lord and pray for you. And after she does that, then we're going to take communion together. And so what I want to do is, is I just want to encourage you and I want to ask you right now, join me. Join me in the tree of life. Let's live there, all right? Let's stay in the right tree. And out of that place, let's flourish together, all right? Let's disciple and, and be discipled by each other, all right? Let's grow in this kind of environment together as God's good people, all right? So Jeannie's going to come and just share with you how to know Jesus, all right? And then as soon as she does that, uh, then David and I are going to come to the tables, and uh, here, Jeannie, this one, please. There, perfect, all right? Uh, and then we're going to lead you in communion, and I want you to just come to this table today just ready to enjoy and receive the life of Christ.
2: Thank you, Pastor. It's a powerful message. You know, in the beginning, God created this perfect place for us to dwell and to live. But because of the deception of the enemy, and he came in and he said, take and eat. But it wasn't out of a place of love and redemption. It was out of a place to tear us down and to destroy us. But then, God sent his son, Jesus to come for us, to be, you know, where the enemy wants us to live in shame and guilt and all of that. Jesus came to take that. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He took everything upon himself so that we might find freedom. And in taking that, he said, take and eat of my body, of my blood that will give you eternal life and in taking all of that and wanting to give he suffered for us he was nailed to a cross and died for us that we might have that eternal life and in dying for us he was buried and three days he rose again taking all of that all of that shame, that guilt, that judgment, that condemnation with him, and he defeated the enemy and sits at the right hand of the Father now for each one of us. That we too may one day see that beautiful garden that he created for us from the very foundation of the world. And we can have that. Whoever believes in Jesus, on Him, shall have eternal life. That's what God's Word says. So today, wherever you're at, if you hear God saying, Where are you? He's not saying that out of a place of that condemnation. He's saying that out of a place of love in His heart, where He wants you to be right here with Him, right here to enjoy the beauty of that eternal life and that beautiful garden with him. So if you don't know Jesus today, please talk to our pastors. Talk to any, any member here. We'd love to walk you through that. You know, and you don't even, you can even just say that in your own heart. You don't need someone to come alongside you and say, but that's a beautiful place to share with someone. This is where I'm at, but it's not where I want to be. So we thank you, Father. We thank you that you are the bread of life. You are the water that flows into each of us, the living water that gives us that that revival spirit that causes us to want to flourish, that causes us to no longer want to live in that place where we judge or condemn but to be a body of believers that loves like you loves Je- love Jesus. So we thank you today for that eternal life. We thank you for that place, Heavenly Father, where you call to us. You call. Your deep calls to deep, O Lord. And let us, Heavenly Father, with the joy within us, say yes and amen. So as we come today, Lord, as we come with hands open to receive, Lord God, your body and blood, let us truly remember that place of promise that you have for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.